Welcome to this week's Rashi Shear, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. So, welcome to this week's Rashi Shear. We come to the last verse of Perak Yutet. So, last week we discussed at length the story of Abraham um, bargaining, as it were, not much of a bargaining process really, but Abraham asking Hashem to save the cities of Saddam. Um, for a decreasing number of Sadiqim. And then we read in Pasuk Lamad Gimel, Vayelech Hashem ka'asher kila ledaber el Avraham. And Hashem went when he finished to speak to Avraham, but Avraham shav limkomo, and Avraham returned to his place. And Rashi says on the words, Vayelech Hashem, kebon shenishtatek hasanegor, when the Sanigor, the defender, stopped or was silent, then the judge left. Um, and we'll see in a moment the next verse, also, sorry, the next comment of Rashi talks about the Katigor, the prosecutor. So it's probably quite appropriate as we come very close to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we call about the Sanigor and the Katigor. The Sanigor is the defending lawyer, if you like, and the Katigor is the prosecuting lawyer. So Avraham is the defending lawyer. So Rashi says, Why does Rashi say this? Because of the interesting expression in Pasuk Lama de Gimel. Now I am assured that there is nowhere in the whole of Nach a reference like this. That when Hashem stopped speaking, to, in this case, Abraham, or to a Navi, that something happened. So this is the only place, apparently, and I haven't checked, but um, take it on good authority, that we note that Hashem stops speaking. He doesn't just come to the end and then says full stop. But the Torah actually goes out of its way to say Hashem stopped speaking. And then the Abraham Shavlim Komo. So there's a, uh, when Hashem stopped speaking to Abraham, Hashem went. So Rashi is answering the question, why does the Pasuk stress that when Hashem stopped speaking to Abraham, Hashem went? And I'll link this to the next part of Pasuk Lama Gimel and the beginning of Yutet Aleph. So the next part of Lama Gimel is, Abraham shav komo. So let's look at Rashi there, Abraham shav komo. Dayan, When the Dayan went, so also the prosecutor, sorry, the defending um, defender went. And then it says, and then the prosecutor started to prosecute. And therefore it says, the two malachim came to Saddam in order to destroy. And that's a reference to the next verse. Interestingly, even though um, according to the Christian numbering into chapters, this is the beginning of the next chapter. And Yud Chet Lamad Gimel is separated by a whole like new chapter from Yud Tet Pasuk Aleph. In the Torah, there is no, no such division. There's no Parsha Petucha, no Parsha Stuma separating Yud Chet Lamad Gimel with Yud Tet Aleph. Yud Tet Aleph is the direct continuation of Yud Chet Lamad Gimel. So Rashi sees a three part drama here. There is a Dayan, there is a defender, there is a prosecutor or an accuser. And the Torah is stressing. But when Hashem spot speaking to Avraham, Hashem went away. Why? Because Avraham was serving as the defender. Hashem waited till the defender had finished all his defending, and then Hashem went. The next thing that happened is Avraham shavlim komo. Avraham returned to his place, which Rashi explains in a similar way as nistaleka daya nistaleka sanigor. So the, the the chronology is really three things, four things happened. Avraham stopped speaking to Hashem. Then Hashem went. Then Abraham returned to his place. Then the Malachim arrived in Saddam. So what is the, Rashi is explaining why those four things happen in that order through this metaphor, or maybe it's not a metaphor, of a Dayan, a Sanigor, and a Katigor. So the order of events is the, Kati, the Sanigor stops defending. That's Hashem stops speaking to Abraham. Hashem goes, that's Vayelech Hashem. Abraham goes, that's Abraham Shavlim Komor. And then the Katigor starts his accusing that's for Yavoshne HaMalachim Sodoma. So because the Torah stresses this sort of chronology, Rashi explains it in that way. 
So let's now move on to Pasuk Aleph of Perak uh, Yud Tet, even though we just said there's no great distinction in our Chumashim, but just for point of reference, we call it Perak Yud Tet Pasuk Aleph. So it says, And the two angels came to Sodom in the evening. So we'll go it up to there. There's a lot Rashi has to say just on that phrase, so we'll just pause there. So the first thing Rashi says is on the word shnei. And Rashi says on the word shnei, two, aleph, achad lahashkit et Sodom, ve'echad lahatzil et lot. One, to destroy Sodom, and one, to save lot. Why does the Torah stress there are two? Well, it's relevant to the fact that Rashi went out of his way at the beginning of Peret to say that one malach does one job. They have a sort of strict work to rule arrangement. One malach, one job. And if there are two malachim, there must be two jobs. So Rashi tells us what the two jobs are. Interestingly, you could say that Echad Lachashchit, one to destroy, he's representing Midat Hadin, that Echad Lachatzil Ed Lot, and one to save Lot, who's representing Midat Harachamim. I'll come back to that point. Now, um, these are two out of the three who came to see Abraham. So Rashi's also got to explain why one has gone missing. So he says, for who, and that one, that's the one who comes to save Lot, Oto Shabbat Rapaot Abraham. He's the one who came to heal Abraham. The Hashlishi et Sarah, and the third one who came to give the good news to Sarah that she's going to to have a child, since it had already done its mission, Nista Lake Low. He went away. Now you remember the three Malachim, or called Anashim, as we're about to talk about, who came to Abraham. The Torah stressed they had, or sorry, Rashi stressed they had three different roles one to destroy Saddam, one to heal Abraham, and one to give the good news to Sarah. Now we told explicitly, but the one who came to heal Abraham is also the one to come to save Lot. What about our one malach, one job principle? So we see that the malach who does the single job, that job itself isn't generic. It's the job of healing stroke saving. So it doesn't mean he only has one single mission, but he only has one, if you like, characteristic. So the job of healing Abraham is the same as the job of saving Lot. And that's why Rashi points out that it was the same malach who did one and the other. But Rashi explains that it's Shani, it's two Malachim, because um, one has gone away because he's done his job, one who has uh, done the job of healing Abraham, but he's now going to the job of saving Lot, and one who always had the job of destroying Saddam. So Rashi's explained the word Shanae, why there are two Malachim. The next thing to talk about is the word Malachim, because Rashi says, Ulahalan Kara'am Anashim. Now, the word Bahalan is an Aramaic word. It's used in the Gemara all the time. Literally, it's translated as later on. So further on in the book, you'll find this verse. Now, in fact, that's a bit too precise because in the Gemara and in Rashi, it can mean above or below. It's just another Pasuk which is distant from our Pasuk. So there was another Pasuk where they were called Anashim. Now, actually, it's not 100% clear which Pasuk Rashi is referring to. Because in the case of Abraham, the whole story at the beginning of Perak Yudchet, they were called Anashim throughout. It's also the case that later on in the story of Lot, they're called Anashim. So it could actually be either one that Rashi is referring to. We don't have original footnotes in our Rashi. We have footnotes added in later. Um, but either way, at other times they're called Anashim. So why are they called Malachim here? Says Rashi. When the Shekhinah, when Hashem's presence was together with them, it calls them Anashim, which, by the way, implies, although it's not 100% clear, it implies that Rashi's talking about the earlier reference to when they were in Abraham's house and the Shekhinah was there. We'll talk about that in a moment. That's why they're called Anashim, because in the presence of the Shekhinah, they, their, their angelhood doesn't count very much. They're just regular Anashim, men, compared to the great glory of the Shekhinah. Deva Acher, another explanation. Etzel Avraham, Shakocho Gadol, when they were with Avraham, who had a great power, 
והיו המלאכים תדירים אצלו, המלאכים were often to be found by him, כאנשים, like men, like Abraham's house was open wide and Abraham is the sort of fellow to whom Malachim came and went. Apparently it wasn't just on this one instance, but it was a regular occurrence. So they're coming and going, they're just like men. And therefore, Kara'am Anashim, they're called men. it's a lot, but by lot, Kara'am Malachim, they are called Malachim. So it's actually that there seems to be two related differences between Abraham and Lot, which Rashi is mentioning. Number one, Abraham shakochol gadol, and Lot presumably did not have a great power. And number two, the malachim tadirim etzlo, the angels were frequently with Abraham. Now, it's not 100% clear again, at least not to me, if Rashi is saying there's one reason or two, is it because he had a koach gadol, therefore the angels were really with him, and it's like the same thing? Or is it two things? He had a koach gadol, and angels were often with him, and neither were present in the case of Lot. And so for Lot, they weren't uh, run, of the, run of the mill. They weren't ordinary visitors, like even Malachim were to Abraham's house. Therefore, they're called Malachim. So Rashi here gives two answers, and he clearly gives two answers. They're separated by the phrase, Devar Acher, another explanation. So the first explanation is, in Abraham's house, the Malachim were, if you like, in the shadow of the Shekhinah, and therefore they only count as Anashim. The second explanation is in Avram's house, they're frequent visitors, and therefore they count as Anashim. And either way, that doesn't apply to Lot's house. The Bartanura, who is most well known as for his commentary on the Mishnah, also writes a commentary on Rashi. And he makes the point that these two explanations correspond to the two explanations of Rashi at the very beginning of Perut Yudchet. At the very beginning of Perut Yudchet, um, Rav Aram said to Hashem, Pasuk Yudchet Gimel, Vayoma Adonai imnamat satichem be'enecha alna ta'avo me'alavdecha. Avraham said, my masters, if I have found favor in your eyes, please don't pass from in front of your, your, your servant. And Rashi said there, the word Adonai can either refer to Hashem himself, or can refer to the chief of the angels. If it refers to Hashem, then what happens is, Hashem appears to Avraham at the very beginning of Yudchet, Vayera Elav Hashem. Avraham then says, hang on a minute to Hashem, I, I paraphrase. He says, hang on a minute. So presumably Hashem hangs on several minutes. Um, Avraham goes and feeds his guests, and Hashem is there the whole time. And that would correspond to Rashi's first explanation, in Perak Yutet Pasuk Aleph, that in the presence of Hashem, the Malachim were considered Anashim. Rashi's second explanation of Yudchet Gimel is that Hashem is not in the picture. Abraham is talking to the angels when he says, Hashem's not there. Presumably he appeared in Pasuk Aleph, Vayera Alav Hashem, literally appeared, and then he went away. And that, says the Bar would fit with Rashi's second explanation in Yud Tet Pasuk Aleph, that it's just because there were lots of angels in Abraham's house, but not a reference to the Shekhinah that caused them to be called Anashim in Abraham's house and Malachim in Lot's house. Um, okay, I think that covers the second Rashi. Next Rashi is on the word Be'erev, in the evening. Says Rashi, did the Malachim wait such a long time from Hebron to Sodom? But they were angels of mercy. And they waited because maybe Abraham will be able to literally teach on them defense, to find a defense for the people of Sodom. So Rashi's asking a question which is partly logistical, but really is rooted in the text. The logistical point, or the two fit together really. The logistical point is the same angels we know came to Abraham's house and what time of day? Kacham hayom, the heat of the day, at lunchtime. And they stayed to have their lunch and then they left. Then they arrive at Saddam, the Erev, in the evening. Now, 
Sodom is not very far from Hebron. Um, to be honest, I haven't checked how many kilometers and how long it would take to walk, but uh, I, I think we can well imagine it's, it's only actually a few hours walk. Um, I think that's plausible. But we can also add that Malachim don't really need a long time to travel. They can probably go very, very quickly. Speed is lighter or quicker than that. Um, so it's, it's strange that they would need a duration to get from one place to another place, which is fairly near. But I think the reason Rashi asked the question is because the Pasuk identifies the time period. It identified the time period when they came to Avram's house, and it identifies the time when they come to Lot's house, Ba'erev. And since it goes out of its way to say there was an approximately six hour gap from one to the other, Rashi has to answer why it needs to tell us this. And the answer is, it were the angels were waiting while Avraham negotiated with Hashem. And of course, this fits with what we said on um, which we learned just a moment ago, which stressed that the angels came after Avraham had finished talking to Hashem. Again, the progression from Hashem El Avraham in and Rashi there said this whole business about the uh, Sanigor goes and then Katigor starts to make his accusations in that order. So we see that the word Ba'erev stresses that the Malachim waited until Abraham had finished all that he was going to say, and only then did they start their accusing. Why? Because they were... Um, um, Interestingly, even though I pointed out that one came to destroy Saddam, so he's got the attribute of Midat Adin, a destroyer is not normally considered a Malach of Rachamim, but in this case he was. Rashi says he was. Even the one who was going to destroy, which is a pretty judgmental thing to do, was a Malach of Rachamim, was still trying to wait in the hope but it wouldn't have to be because in the hope that Abraham would find some defense for them. So let's continue with the Pasuk. So we've said so far in Pasuk Aleph, the Lot Yoshev Bashar Saddam. Lot, well, the tense of Yoshev is problematic. We'll translate it as was sitting or was a sitter in the gate of Saddam. Um, and then it goes on to say, Lot saw and he got up to greet them and he prostrated his face to the ground. So Rashi says on the words, Lot Yashav Bashar Sadam. Yashav Ketiv. It's written Yashav, Yud Shin Vet, which would normally be read as a past tense with a, a kamatz under the Yud and the Shin. Yashav, he was, he, he sat, past tense. But it's pointed, Yoshev, present tense. And I, I think really the question is, is it really present, but is spelt past? Or is it really past, but pronounced present? And Rashi says, it's really present as in ongoing action, but pronounced Yashav, past, to show that there's something slightly lacking about the ongoing action. And what is it? Says Rashi, That very day, they appointed him a judge over them. They, the people of Saddam, appointed Lot a judge over them. So Lot was a judge, imperfect. He was an ongoing judging situation. He uh, already was a judge and he was judging. That's why it should be in the present tense. Yet it's written without the Vav, it's written as if it were to be pronounced in the past tense, as if it's something that is over, that was a one-off that already happened. So Rashi reconciles the contrast by saying it really is present tense, but it's present that lacking a bit. So he's been a judge, but not for very long. Perhaps we can say he's not really established as a judge. Now, how do we know he's a judge? Because he's sitting Bashar Saddam, in the gate of Saddam. And we know from countless examples throughout the whole Tanakh, but the gate is where the judges judge. It's interesting that um, we have a similar pasuk in um, Kaf Zion pasuk, sorry, Kaf Gimel pasuk Yud, 
um, where Abraham meets Ephron, from whom he wants to buy the Maratamach Pela. And there, the Pasuk says, the Ephron Yoshev betoch benechet. Ephron was sitting in the midst of the benechet, and the word Yoshev is spelt in the same way. It's spelt without the Vav. Again, it's written Yud Shin Vet, which looks like Yashav, but it's pointed Yoshev, but without the Vav. And Rashi says a very similar comment there. Ketiv Chaser, it's, this is Rashi on Kaf Gimel Yud. It's written lacking. That day they appointed him as a shoter, like a policeman, over them. So Rashi makes a very similar comment about the word Yoshev if it's spelt effectively. Interestingly, though, he says that Lot was appointed as a shofet and Ephron was appointed as a shoter, as a policeman. Why? Because Lot was sitting Bashar Saddam, in the gate of Saddam. Ephron was sitting in the midst of the people. Rashi, being Rashi, is very sensitive to these tiny differences. So who sits in the gate? A judge. Who sits amongst the people? A shoter, a policeman, an officer of the court, but not the judge himself. It's also fascinating, this idea of Lot being a judge. Um, we certainly won't get there tonight, but uh, in a few, not too far away, we'll get to the point where the people of Saddam are very cross with Lot and they say, he's come to judge us, which is quite ironic because Rashi says they've appointed him a judge. One can only speculate, and I have no uh, uh, clues about this, about why they appointed him as a judge. Did they want Abraham's nephew to get some sort of kudos? Did they think um, he'd be a good judge? I don't know. We can speculate. That's uh, an interesting speculation. But the fact is, they appointed him as a judge, and nevertheless, they abuse him in the terrible way that we're about to see. So even though they elevated him to a senior position, when they wanted to act like B'nai Saddam, as they did, his judgeship and his seniority counted for nothing. And finally, the last thing that Rashi has to say on this verse is on the words by Yar Lot, Lot saw. Says Rashi, Mibet Avraham Lamad al From the house of Avraham, he learnt to go after guests. So uh, I think actually we have to be mindful that Rashi's Dibaramatchil, Rashi's opening word, is Vayar Lot Vagomer, Lot saw, etc. So it includes Vayar Lot, Vayakam, Likrotam, Vayishtachu, Apayim Adsa. So you might ask if Lot was basically not very good. Why does he do this hospitality? And as we're going to see very soon, it's at considerable personal risk because in Saddam, hospitality was not the done thing. So why does Lot, who's not a tzaddik, do this? So it says Rashi that Lot learned from Abraham. So there was a remez, there was something that Lot took from Abraham's house, and it was the ability and the, sorry, the understanding that it's a good idea to search for guests and to offer them hospitality. But there's more to it, actually, because if we look at the beginning of Yud Chet, we see in Pasuk Bet, Avraham lifted up his eyes, Avraham saw and he ran to greet them, and then he bowed to the ground. He saw, he ran to greet them, and he bowed to the ground. We have almost the same with Lot but not quite. Lot saw, and he got up to greet them, and he bowed to the ground. Now, you could say the point I'm about to make is, is void, because if they happen to be right close to him, he doesn't have to run to meet them. But I'd like to say differently. I'd like to say that Rashi is pointing out that Lot is acting in a similar, but not identical fashion to Abraham. The words are almost the same, and that's why Rashi says that Lot got the idea to do something similar to Avraham, but they're not exactly the same. And this, by the way, is so commonly a reason for Rashi to say what he says when there's something similar but not identical. And so here, Rashi, Lot is displaying some of the same um, willingness and uh, passion for hospitality as his uncle Abraham in whose house he grew up, but not quite the same. And Rashi is alerting us to the fact that he's learned to serve after guests, but it's not something that's intrinsic. It's 
not because he's a tzaddik. It's not because he's a great machnis orchim. It's because he's learned from Abraham, which is good, but also not so good. It means it's not intrinsic. And I think that's reflected in the fact that he's doing something similar, but not quite the same. Now, personally, I'd like to extend this. And I think um, Lot is a fascinating study in mediocrity. In so many times, Lot tries to do the right thing, but doesn't quite do it right. Uh, I don't think we're going to get there tonight. But for instance, probably the, the best example is he says to the people of Sodom, don't touch my guests. I don't want you to hurt my guests. They've come under my roof. I must protect them, which is a really, really good thing. But then he gets it wrong. He says, and in order to stop you touching my guests, here are my two daughters. You can do with them what you like. He just doesn't quite get it. And I think Rashi is alluding to that in this comment when he says um, that Lot learnt from Abraham, but he didn't quite do the same. He didn't quite do it with the same enthusiasm. I think that's what Rashi is pointing us to. Okay, so then what does he say? So he meets these two guests and he says, by Yomer, Pasukbet, he said, Hinei na Adonai, suru na elbeit avdechem. Behold, now the word na sometimes means now or sometimes is the introduction of a request. Adonai, my masters, suru na elbeit avdechem. Turn, not go, but turn to the house of your servant. Now Rashi, has got uh, two things to offer on this. And let's try and understand what they are. Um, on the words, Hineina Yadati. Sorry, Hineina Adonai. Hineina Atem Adonim Li. Behold, na, now or please, you are my masters, the masters to me. Acha Sha'avartem Alai. Since you have passed to me, since you've come sort of into my house, I say sort of because they hadn't come into his house yet, but nevertheless, like they're the guests whom he is uh, welcoming, and therefore he says, You are my masters because you are my guests. Another explanation. Behold, and I'll leave the word not untranslated again you need to pay attention to these wicked people, i.e. the people of Sodom, that they should not recognize in you and this is good advice, this is solid, sound advice. And then he goes on to Suruna, um, which Rashi says, go by a twisty turny route to my house. Rashi tries to understand surah as different from bo'i, just come to my house. But suru means take a long-winded explanation. Sorry, a long-winded route. It's not a shortcut, it's a long cut. Derech akalaton, which means a long cut or a diversion. So that they, the townspeople, should not recognize that you are entering there, i.e. into my house. And that's why it said suru. So Rashi is explicit, but he explained the word suru. Suru means go by a long, windy route so that people won't work out where you're going, and they won't work out that you're going into my house. Now, what are these two explanations? I have to, see, I have to say I saw a, a, a number of explanations, but um, the one that makes sense to me is as follows. I think there's two questions here. Number one, what does na mean? So in the first explanation, it means um, now, you are my masters. You are my masters now because you have um, come unto, you passed in my direction. And the second one, which leads to the uh, second alternative, second opportunity, uh, sorry, understanding of na, is please. It leads to a request. And the request is, Suru, uh, please come to my house, but by the uh, twisty-turny route. So na can mean now, as in behold, now you are my masters, or na can mean please, as in behold, please come to my house by the long route. Which leads to the other question of the Pasuk. Is the words hinei na Adonai connected to suru na elbit avdachem, or are they two separate things? Now here, it's interesting, uh, there are different Mephoshim answer this question in opposite ways. 
But I'm going to answer it in the following way. According to the first explanation, they are separate things. Hine na Adonai. Behold, now you are my masters. Why are you my masters? Because you have come to, you've passed into my domain. Full stop. And now another thing I want to say is, Surah na el Abdachem. Please go by the twisty turny route to my house. The second explanation links the two. The second explanation says, Behold, please, my masters, we have a problem, and therefore, Surana al-Bayt come by my house to belong to, by the twisty-turny route. The two things are one thing. The Hinena Adonai leads straight into Surana al-Bayt Abdachem. As I said, other Mephoshim want to explain it, that the first explanation links the two, and the second explanation doesn't link the two, but the way I've explained it makes more sense to me, and that's why I'm sharing it with you. And you could say, why do we need two explanations? Because the two explanations answer two different questions. Um, well, we've got the two, they, they match up to the two interpretations of na, either now or please. And they also give two uh, perspectives on whether we have one phrase or two phrases, as I hope I've explained. Now, then, uh, Lot goes on to say, velinu, and spend the night, and wash your feet, and get up early, and go on your way. And they said, Lo, no, ki barachov lanim, nalim. And I'll leave that till Rashi gets there. Interestingly, it's not uh, unreasonable for Rashi to add the backstory of Lot saying, I'm worried that people are going to see you coming to my house, as we've seen. Rashi explains Suru as go by a long route just for that very reason. Because in Pasuk Bet, as we just read, he actually says, get up early in the morning and go. And it's a funny type of hospitality who says to the guest, please come, stay the night and go very quickly. I think we, you know, we might, because we, we're more like, oh, we, I, perhaps are more like Lot than Avraham. Sometimes one wants to say to a guest, make sure you go by a certain time, but it's not considered polite to do so. But Lot does actually say, I want you to go early in the morning. Now, maybe he's being a very poor host, or maybe he's, as Rashi says, worried about the people of Saddam uh, taking exception to the fact that he has guests. Um, but um, Rashi concentrates on the order of Linu Barachatsu Raglechem. Sleep the night, and then wash your feet. Now, we already know something about feet washing, uh, as Rashi is going to remind us. But let's just understand the context. People are traveling through the desert. They're walking through the desert. They're covered in dust. Their feet are covered in dust. Uh, and it is norm. It is normal when you take in guests that they want to have a wash and a brush up before they go to bed, as Rashi says. He says, shel adam lalun is it the way of people to sleep the night first of all and then wash? So first of all, Rashi attacks this as it's not normal. And then he brings a proof text to show that it's not normal. The old Shahare Avraham Amalahem. And furthermore, we see that Avraham said to the same guests, Tehila, first of all, Rachatsur Raglechem wash your feet. If we go back to the beginning of Perak Yudchet, um, Abraham says um, uh, in Pasuk Dalad, Yudchet Dalad, take a little bit of water, and wash your feet, and then rest under the tree. So we see that Abraham, who, by the way, we've already said that Lot is trying to copy, we said that on Pasuk Aleph, Abraham does the feet washing first before the resting. So given that A, it's not normal, and B, it's not what Abraham did, and Abraham, who is the model for Lot's hospitality, why therefore does Lot do it this way round? Sleep first and then wash your feet. Says Rashi, Elakach Omar Lot. This is what Lot said. Im kashiyavo anshe Saddam. If when the people of Saddam come, the Yeru and they see Shekavar Achatzur that they were, you have already, sorry, they have washed their feet. 
they will accuse me, and they will say, it's already must have been two or three days, but they've, since they've come to your house, and you did not tell us. Therefore, Lot said, it is preferable that you stay here with the dust on your feet, that it will appear as though you've just arrived, which is indeed the case. And therefore he said, Therefore he said, sleep the night first and then wash your feet. So just to rephrase it in our own words, there is a theme that is running through everything we've learned so far about the people of Sodom. They don't like guests. And in fact, we can add that I think Rashi is clearly being informed by a whole string of Midrashim that talk about the inhospitality, inhospitality of the people of Saddam. And uh, there's a lot of stories about Eliezer, the servant of Abraham, going to Saddam and the people treating him really badly. And there are a lot of stories that point out it wasn't just that the people of Saddam were inhospitable, but they made it the law that you cannot practice hospitality. They made it the hallmark of their society. And that's a fascinating and important message from the Midrashim, that it wasn't just that they had bad traits, but the very society that they built embodied those bad traits. Um, and the Midrash gives many examples of how people would say, I'm doing the right thing by not giving any money to this beggar. Uh, I won't go into all the details because that's for another time. But they justified it to themselves on the basis this was the norm, this was the law. Now Rashi doesn't go into great detail, but Rashi, in order to explain Lot's actions, which is the focus of the Perak in the Chumash, Rashi does give a bit of background. And this one here is a good example. That Lot is afraid that there seems to be some requirement of Lot to tell the townspeople if he's having guests. It can't be kept secret. And so if it looks like the guests have been there for a long time, and Lot hasn't announced it, he hasn't like registered it on some sort of website that tells people who's got what guest, then Lot will be in trouble. So Lot has to engineer it so it doesn't look like they've been there for a long time. What's the evidence that a, a, a guest will have been there for a period of time? He will have removed the dust from his feet. Therefore, Lot does not want him to remove the dust from his feet until he actually goes, whereupon it's no longer a danger. So that's why he does this odd thing, which is different from Abraham, which is when he says, stay the night first, and then he says, then wash your feet. There is a big problem with this Rashi, because when Abraham said the opposite, which was, as we just said, in Pasuk Dalad of Yudchet Dalad, Abraham said, sorry, Rashi said there the following. When Abraham says, uh, this is Yudchet Dalad, he, he thought that they were Arabs who worshipped the dust of their feet, perhaps because they are travelers and dust is very important for the traveling and it's, it's basically their livelihood. Therefore, they venerate it, they deify it. But Abraham saw it as an Avodah Zarah. And therefore, he he's particular that they shouldn't bring Avodah Zarah, idolatry into his house. Continues Rashi in Yudchet Dalat. Avalot Shalom Hikpit, Lot, who was not bothered, Hikdim Lina Lerachitza, he put sleeping before washing Shine'emar, because Lot said, Sleep the night and then wash your feet. So, according to Rashi in Yudchet Dalat, the difference between Abraham and Lot is as follows. Abraham doesn't want the idolatry brought into his house, so he says, wash your feet first. Lot says, I don't mind the idolatry brought into my house, so he's not so worried about washing the feet. However, the very same Rashi, we're not comparing one possible number, we're comparing Rashi with Rashi, says on Rashi, on Yutet Bet, says it's for a completely different reason. It's so the townspeople won't think that the strangers have been there for a long time. So, where do we go with this? So the Mizrahi says, don't get too bothered. There are different Midrashim. Rashi brings one Midrash here and another Midrash there. 
And that is the Mizrahi's derech, that is Rashi, Mizrahi, believes that of Rashi, that he tells you a nice Midrash, so I'm not trying to uh, deprecate the way Mizrahi puts it, but it's quite a simple answer to the question. He brings a Midrash here, and sometimes he brings a different Midrash there. Don't get so bothered. I noticed the art scroll brings, but without a, a source, that you can still reconcile the two. The fact is that Lot needed them to keep their feet dusty because he was afraid of the townspeople. But had he been as Makpid, had he been as particular as Abraham was about not bringing Avodah into his house, he would still have told them to wash their feet in advance and he would have taken the risk that the townspeople would notice their clean feet and think they'd been there for a while. He only told them to adopt the strategy of disguising their time of arrival by keeping their feet dusty because he wasn't worried about Avodah Zarah. And therefore, you can put the two parts of Rashi's comment together. Avraham was worried about Avodah Zarah, Lot wasn't. And therefore, when Lot told them to keep their feet dust, dusty for the reasons that we're told here, because of his fear of the town people, he was prepared to do that because he wasn't worried about Avodah Zarah. In fact, actually, I think the two parts of Rashi fit together quite well, especially because of the first part of Rashi here that says it's not normal for people not to wash their feet. So you would expect them to wash their feet first. So we have to explain why Lot deviated from that normality. And then we also, we're told that Avraham wanted to get the dust off straight away and Lot didn't because he wasn't so bothered about the idolatry aspect. May I ask you? Yes, please. Um, if, let's just say Lot was worried about Pekuach Nefesh and we see that there was what to worry about. Halachically, could you allow Avodah Zorah into your house for Bekuach Nefesh? Okay, that's a halachic question which I'm going to avoid um, because I'm not a halachic expert, certainly not on the questions of Bekuach Nefesh. We know that Avodah Zorah itself is Yerav Yavor. That yeah, you should this is Avodah Zorah. This is, that. at worst, Heksha Avodah Zorah. Right. Uh, it's existing in the process of Avodah Zorah. Right. Uh, you can also say it wasn't definitely going to be Bekuach Nefesh. I mean, in fact, um, the uh, guests didn't die, Lot didn't die, although there were some miracles involved. Um, I don't know how likely would have been the reaction of the townspeople and how violent would have been the action of the townspeople. So maybe it wasn't Badai Bekoa Knevesh either. So I don't know. Um, I'm going to take a pass on answering that halachic question. There is no doubt that Rashi is telling us that Lot was... Um, insufficiently concerned about Avodah Zarah. Um, in what he says in Yudchet Dalet, that Lot wasn't makpid about Avodah Zarah, I think he's criticizing him. And certainly I read Rashi as saying, Lot should have been makpid about Avodah Zarah. That's uh, what I think Rashi is saying. Okay. But I, I refrain from answering the halakhic question of whether it is appropriate to bring in uh, dusty guests um, in the, uh, why you're still afraid that others will kill you for the dust on the feet of your guests. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, let's move on to the next Rashi. Oh no, next Rashi, so we haven't got, we got two more Rashis on this very positive to go. So the Yomru Lo, they said no. Ula Avraham Amru came to Aser, but to Avraham they said, so uh, you shall do. Avraham said, can I, offer your hospitality, and they said, yes, that's what you should do. So the same angels say yes to Abraham, and they say no to Lot. It says, Rashi, mikan masarvin lakatan, masarvin lagadol. So Rashi says, we learn from this, that you can refuse the request of a junior person, but you can't refuse the quest, request of what I'll call a senior person, a person of higher status. Um, I think Rashi is driven by the fact that the Torah explicitly says, they said no, direct speech, which is quite rare in the Torah. They said no. And why does it stress that they said no? From this, that we learn this distinction, that you can say no, sorry, you have to say yes to a godol, but you can say no to a katan. By the way, I don't think we have to say, in fact, we shouldn't say that they're being um, superior or dismissive of the request of a young uh, a katan, a lot type person. On the contrary, um, their default position is that we don't want to bother people. We don't want to put people to trouble. 
um, we're quite happy to sit in the street. Uh, and that's the normative position. And that's why they say no to Lot, because they don't want to trouble Lot. But they can't say no to Abraham. They have to put Abraham to the trouble if he offers to welcome them into his tent. And that's why they said yes to Abraham. So you can say no to a Katan if you don't want to trouble him, but you can't say no to a Gadol if you don't, even if you don't want to trouble him. And then the next Rashi, this one I was looking forward to, because after like working pretty hard on these Rashis so far, this one I think is straightforward. So Vayomrulo, they said no, and the pastor continues, Kibarochav Nolin. So Rashi says on the words, Kibarochav Nolin, Hare ki meshamesh baloshan eila. Here, the word ki serves as to mean but. Sha'omru, they said, lo nasur el beitcha, we will not turn towards your house. Eila, but barochava in literally its street, in other words, outside your house. Uh, sorry, barochava shall ir nalin, in the open space of the city, nalin, we will spend the night. Why does Rashi have to say this? Because as we've learned, key can mean lots of different things, and particularly mean four things. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, Rashi spelt out those four things for us. So usually it means because. And you might want to try and understand how the angels are saying, they said to him, no, because we will sleep in the street, as if we've got a special reason for sleeping in the street. No, we won't go into your house because we're going to sleep in the street. But that's not what it means, says Rashi. It doesn't mean because, it means but, as in but rather. We won't sleep in your, we won't come into your house, but rather we will sleep in the street. Not that we've got a special reason for sleeping in the street, we just don't need to come into your house. Okay, that finishes Pasuk Gimel. No, it doesn't finish his Pasuk Bet. Pasuk Gimel says, V'yitzar bam ma'od, he entreated them a lot, V'yosuro elav, and they turned to him. Says Rashi Yasru Elav, Ikmu etaderach letzad beito. They again, they took a long route to get to his house. Again, Rashi is now being explicit, or he was actually before in um, Pasuk uh, Bet um, on the word Suru. Again, the simple pshat, simple word to they went to his house would be Vayelchu. They went to his house. But it doesn't say ve'elchu, it says ve'asuru, they turned. So Rashi is telling us that turned means going by the twisty-turny route. So it fits together with the request that Lot made when he said suruna al-bayt avdechem, which also fits with Rashi, uh, what he added into Pasuk Aleph, which wasn't there explicitly in the Chumash, but Rashi added when he says, um, sorry, the beginning of Pasuk Bet, kinei Adonai suruna, uh, because of the townspeople, you have to take the twisty-turny route to get to my house. That's what he asked them to do, and that's what they did in Pasuk Gimel. And Rashi is telling you what the Yasuru Elav means. It doesn't just mean they turned. It doesn't mean they went, because it's not the word. It means they took a twisty-turny route. And then Rashi says, and I'm getting excited here because this is one of my favorite Rashis, and it says, Vayavo um, el they came into his house, and he made for them a feast, and he baked matzot, and they ate. Before I get into the exciting Rashi, I'll just mention that they ate, even though they were malachim. And we learned from the previous parak that Rashi made the comment, malachim don't eat, they just pretend to eat, so they don't change from the minhag of the place. So we know they're the same malachim, in fact, they've been called malachim, but they are eating. So that actually means they're malachim who look like anashim, which again strengthens Rashi's question on Pasuk Aleph, why they're called malachim, even though we know they're going to look like anashim, and they were looking like anashim in Abraham's house, that all strengthens Rashi's question, why they're called malachim here in Pasuk Aleph. Anyway, Rashi says on the word umatzat afa. Now, why is this um, special to me? It's a, a two-word Rashi. It's very easy to understand. It, uh, I have a certain sentimental connection to it because at the primary school my children went to, this was the very first Rashi they learnt because it's only two words. It's a simple idea. Um, I think even the letters in Rashi script are easy to read. And the words of Rashi are Pesach Hayah. 
it was Pesach, explaining why Rashi, why Lot made them matzot. So matzot is unleavened bread, it's a type of food. But says Rashi, it was significant, but the Torah calls them matzot. Incidentally, Abraham cooked something quite similar. Abraham baked, or asked Sarah to bake, ugot, which we translate as cakes, but they were made of flour. Uh, Av, uh, Lot, who acts in a similar way to Abraham, makes something which are called matzot. And in Shemot Peret Yudbet, when we talk about the Bnei Yisrael leaving Mitzrayim, they baked ugot matzot, cakes of matzah. So there's reason to believe that ugot and matzah are the same, but only by Lot does it call them matzot. Hence Rashi says, it was Pesach. Now, what is Rashi saying? So on the very simplest level, Rashi is saying that it was matzah. Why does the Torah say it was matzah? Because it was Pesach. Let's think about that for a while. This day was the same day that the angel said to Sarah, you're going to have a child. And they said, and Rashi makes this point, you're going to have a child in one year's time. And later on, when the child's actually born, Rashi makes the point that the angels scratched a line on the wall and said, when the sun comes to this point, that's when you're going to have the child, explicitly one year hence. And when was Yitzchak born? We know that Yitzchak was born in Nisan. Doesn't, as the Gemara doesn't actually say explicitly Pesach, but elsewhere we say it was Pesach. So we can, this same day that the angels came to Lot was the same day that they had predicted that Yitzchak will be born one year later. And therefore we can see that that was Pesach when Yitzchak was born. So it was Pesach one year before, this day was Pesach. We can go further because this idea that Yitzchak's birthday was Pesach comes up in a number of other places. Why did Yitzchak call Esau for a blessing? Says Rashi at the beginning of uh, um, no, can't remember which beginning in, in Pashat uh, Toldot when Rashi calls. I'm not going to waste time looking for the pasuk, but believe me, when Rashi uh, sorry when uh, Yitzchak calls Esau for a blessing, Rashi says, "Why did he bless him now?" because a person doesn't know if they're going to die five years before or after the age of their mother or five years before or after the age of their father. And Rashi says that on the day that Yitzchak called Esau for a blessing, it was exactly five years, uh, he was five years before the age of his mother. It was his birthday. If he was born on Pesach, that means the day that he blessed Esau was also Pesach. And indeed that fits. Because Rivka said to Yaakov, get two goats to feed to your father uh, when you're acting to be Esau. Why two goats? Rashi asked there, Did he, was, was Yitzchak so hungry that he eat two goats? Says Rashi, one was the Korban Chagiga and one was the Korban Pesach. Because it was the night of Pesach. So Yitzchak's birth, which is one year after this date that we're talking about, is on Pesach. Yitzhak reaches his birthday when he's five years younger than his mother on his birthday, i.e. Pesach. The night that he blesses Yaakov instead of Esau is Pesach. That's why Rivka, says Rashi, told Yaakov to get two goats because one was the Korban Pesach. We can go further. What is the idea of Pesach? What links Pesach with the, um, birth, the, the bracha being given to Yaakov instead of Esau? The night of Pesach was Makat Bechorot, was the killing of the firstborn. It was the end of the old regime. The firstborn whose power came from birth were replaced by the Jews whose power came from their worth. When Yaakov took the blessing that belonged to the firstborn and Hashem said, Bani Bechori Yaakov, that Yaakov is my firstborn and thereby endorsing the switch from Esau to Yaakov, that is saying that the firstborns no longer have the rights. It goes to the ones who deserve it, even if they're the secondborn. And that is Pesach. And that is also the other event that's going to happen on this same night. Going back to Lot, what's going to happen that night? The destruction of Sodom. 
The destruction of Sodom is in many ways a forerunner to the destruction of Pesach, of Mitzrayim. And in fact, you can see the number of textual parallels between the destruction of Sodom and the destruction of Mitzrayim. The, there's a reference to the door, uh, and we'll come to soon with the Malachim um, stand by the door, parallel to the blood being put on the doorpost in Mitzrayim. The uh, Lot and his wife in particular tarry. They don't rush like they're supposed to. The Jews tarry to make their bread in Mitzrayim. The society is destroyed around them. The angels say, hurry up. Hashem rushes the people out of Mitzrayim. The angels rush Lot and what's left of his family out of Sodom. Why was Lot in Sodom in the first place? Because when Abraham said to Lot, choose your place where you want to go, after they had the falling out between their shepherds, Lot looks and he saw as Kikahar Yadain, and it was Kagan Hashem Ke'eret Mitzrayim. Lot went to Sodom because it was a mini version of Mitzrayim. The destruction of Sodom is the forerunner for the destruction of Mitzrayim. It's done in a similar way, and it represents the same thing. And they both take place on the same day. It's also the time for the birth of Yitzchak, which is going to be the time for the very same date when the birthright goes from Esau to Yaakov, which is the same idea as, as Yitzhak Mitzrayim, and also the same idea as the destruction of Sodom. Two more points that we can say, and this all comes from this two-word Russian. Um, there is a Midrash that says the destruction of Sodom took place at the, in the early hours of the morning. Sorry, the Pasuk says it took place in the early hours of the morning. The Midrash says, why did it take place in the early hours of the morning? And the answer is because that if it had took place when the moon was out, then the uh, worshippers of the sun would say, oh, it only was destroyed because the sun wasn't there. The moon was there, but the sun wasn't there to protect it. If it took place when the sun was out, then the worshippers of the moon would say, aha, it was destroyed because the, the moon wasn't there to protect it. So Hashem did it in the early morning when there's neither sun nor moon. Now, you don't need to know very much about the lunar cycle to know, but that will only apply at a particular point in the lunar cycle. Because sometimes the moon is out there throughout the morning, and sometimes the moon is out there throughout the afternoon and evening. When is the moon not there in the morning? When it's just set? Only in the middle of the month, at a full moon because the full moon is out all night and sets in the, uh, in the morning. And uh, depending on the time of year, just before or just after, the sun rises. So if Hashem finds a date um, when the morning equals there's no sun and there's no moon, that must be the middle of the lunar month, i.e. the 15th. In fact, it's only really going to work either in the spring or the autumn. So the 15th of Nisan is the perfect time. That's what the Midrash says, uh, and we, that's how we can explain the Midrash is making sense if the date is the 15th of Nisan. My last point, and uh, this will come to an end. Lot leaves Sodom like the Jewish people leave Mitzrayim. The Jewish people leave Mitzrayim on their way to Har Sinai to accept the Torah to become Hashem's people. Lot leaves Sodom and ends up in a cave in a drunken debauchery with his daughters. And that's the end of Lot. Why was their fate so very different? Especially when Lot, as we see in this passage, baked matzah. He showed, what does matzah represent? Matzah represents that he's ready to leave Mitzrayim. In this case, ready to leave Saddam. Matzah is the bread that teaches us of the haste of the miraculous redemption. As we say, when Rabbi Gamliel says we have to talk about matzah, we say matzah was the, it teaches us the moment that Hashem revealed, him to, to, Hashem revealed himself to us and took us out of Egypt. Avram Lot baked matzah. So why wasn't his leaving Saddam as glorious as the Jewish people's leaving Mitzrayim? And the answer is because Rabbi Gamliel insists on other things on the Seder plate. He insists on maror which tells us that the life that we had in Egypt, stroke Saddam, was bitter, was hurtful. And he says that we have to have on the Seder plate a Korban Pesach, which says that we're prepared to make a sacrifice. We're prepared to give up the very God of Mitzrayim and make a complete break. Lot's problem was he was not prepared to make a complete break with Saddam. 
He's looking backwards. He chooses to go to Sodom in the first place, and he doesn't want to leave it. He has to be dragged out. On his Seder plate, there was no maror representing bitterness. There was no Kobram Pesach. There was just Matzah. Lot is the one who tries to be like Avraham, but he doesn't quite make it. And all that can be derived and deduced and expounded from two words in Rashi. I think that's pretty good. And that's time to stop now. So I'll ask if there's any questions or comments. Hi, Rav. Can I just yes. ask what you're going to say? Um, in, with Abraham, um, I'm going to be on Lot's side here, because Abraham, uh, Lot baked matzahs, I guess, implications. Because it was Pesach, he knew that that was happening. Abraham says, I know you said about Tessara, Lushivasi, Ugot, but he actually says, Vecha bat lechem, as well. I don't know if it was just being maybe um, nice, like, I will bring you, I will, you know, I'll bring you lechem, and then kind of rather than say, I'll bring you matzah, which is not so appetizing. But I wonder if there's any, uh, anything, you can, anything you can say on that. Um, you could say my whole drusher has just fallen apart. Um, uh, although it's not actually critical that Avraham was baking matzah. It just sort of fits nicely because it was also Erev Pesach for him. Um, but you don't have to say that Avraham Dafka was baking matzah. You do have to say that Lot was baking matzah because the Pesach says so. In fact, you could say that it doesn't say matzah by Avraham because it wasn't matzah. Or you could say it was matzah by Avraham and then you ask why it didn't call it matzah. But um, so uh, what you point out can lead in, in those directions. But of course, lechem is also matzah. Matzah is also lechem. Okay. Um, when we think bread, we think, oi, chametz, you know, crumbs. But really, what is matzah? Matzah is unleavened bread. It's a type of lechem. So they're not mutually exclusive. You can ask if Abraham baked matzah, why doesn't the Torah say so? But the fact it calls it lechem doesn't mean definitely it wasn't matzah. Thank you. Okay. I will say thank you very much, and I look forward to seeing us again next week. Um, and we'll have, take a break the following week because it will be the end of Rosh Hashanah. Okay, see you next week. Thank, thank you, you very much. All right. All right. Thanks.